For those who are regular listeners to this podcast, you will know that we are a non-sectarian company, which means that Brave Rider supports people from all backgrounds and faiths. This is not a secular organization in the sense that we protect the space from any mention of religion. Rather, we represent a wide variety of people and practices and belief systems. When I get requests to cover a certain book or to invite a certain guest, I take the content into consideration, not merely based on whether or not the worldview is religious or secular, but based on whether or not that content will serve members of this wide and diverse community. Today's episode in particular features the Christian faith. Today's guest is a Christian who practices her faith through the Episcopalian denomination. The book that she wrote is designed to support practicing Christians in celebrating the liturgical calendar throughout the year. If you are from a secular background or another faith and are not interested in this topic, I invite you to listen to other podcast episodes that are currently available. If you'd like me to interview and promote the work of someone from your religious background or secular tradition that you think would benefit this audience, please send those requests to media at bravewriter.com. I would happily interview people who represent Judaism, Islam, Hindu, Buddhist, or secular or atheist traditions. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you'll enjoy today's episode. Today's guest is Bonnie Smith Whitehouse. She's a Nashville-based professor at Belmont University. She's also a writer. She calls herself a pilgrim, not only because she loves to walk, wander, and contemplate, but because when she read Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, her life was forever changed. Bonnie is a mother of spirited boys. She is a lover of birdsong, a baker of bread, and also an amateur painter and hand letterer. Introducing Bonnie Smith Whitehouse. Welcome, Bonnie. I'm so glad you're on the podcast today. Thank you, Julie. It's a delight to be here with you. When I first heard of your book, Seasons of Wonder, I was immediately struck by the word wonder. I think wonder is such an embodiment of what it means to be human, uh, to be sort of taken by surprise by the world around us. Tell me why that's the title of your book. Oh, thank you so much for beginning with wonder. I think wonder is not discussed enough. We tend to lean too heavily on certainty and certainty doesn't leave a whole lot of room for wonder. So um, I've spent a lot of time working with students and, of course, as a mom with my own children, and I really think that we need more attention to that thing called wonder. And to me, as a lover of the earth, the seasons and the creatures on the earth bring so much attention to wonder. And so I think, to me, the birthplace of faith is, is that wondrous nature of life. And so um, that's kind of where where the title came from and where the impulse to write about wonder came from. 
You know, when we're thinking about the liturgical calendar, particularly in those um, Christian expressions, those denominations that pay attention to it, I loved the way that you took us from what might be considered an ethereal or mystical or metaphysical reality, and you grounded it in the world around us. You Mm -hmm. open with a Gerard Manley Hopkins quote, and I love his poetry, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. And whether or not you believe in a literal God, the idea of transcendence seems to be at the core of that experience of wonder, doesn't it? You wrote, yeah, you wrote, and I love your writing and just found out you're a composition teacher. So this explains why I'm in love with your writing. Um, I yearn for the shocking but joyful little moments like this, the wisps of awe that fill me with nothing but wonder at the simple awareness of my existence as a human creature in this glorious gobsmacking universe of ours. What I found so beautiful about your book is the way you pair then your Christian spirituality with this earthiness. Was that your aim? Yes, indeed. Um, I really am um, lit up and sort of charged, to use Hopkins language, by the world that we have with us. Um, I I don't have, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the other world or this idea of a world where God is sitting on a on a cloud with St. Peter at the gates. I mean, to me, God is, is nearby and we are charged with God's presence and the presence of the holy and the divine permeate all aspects of this incredible blue planet that we're spinning around on. Um, I think I write in, in a section about compost, about um, the etymology of um, Adam, And um, that, you know, there are all these etymological clues that link us up to the animated earth or terra animata, to use St. Augustine's phrase. We are, we are part of this and compost is a holy thing, just like um, the clouds are holy things. And so I really want us to think of ourselves as of the earth and um, you know, that we are, that we are enfleshed and that God is enfleshed. That's what incarnation means after all, again, etymologically incarnation in carne, in the flesh, mm. we are in the flesh. Um, God is in the flesh with us. That's what the, the Christmas season is all about on the Christian calendar. Mm. So what is a devotional calendar? What is a devotional? This is one of the things about this book that I hope sort of is a genre bending um, feature of the book that I really didn't imagine that this was a devotional until my editor said, I think this is a devotional because to me, devotionals have been kind of mm, uh, overly syrupy and sweet, maybe for my taste, a little sentimental, um, don't dig into uh, dual, du- you know, real deep ways of wrestling with problems. But um, at the heart of it, I really kind of like the idea that this is a a twist on the genre of devotional because um, I am full of love and devotion, and I want to raise children who are full of love and devotion and wonder, not people who just feel kind of certain and jaded all the time. Um, I, I, I think that there's a lot to be devoted to and a lot to be 
brave and courageous about. And that has to come from devotion, being brave, being courageous, being um, honorable to use some old fashioned words. You know, those things come out of devotion and wonder and not so much being right all the time. Wow. That really is the perfect lead in for the structure of this book. So you've got each chapter uh, or each section is named for a month. And then you've got the practices for each of those weeks that make up that month. And each of those chapters uh, or each of those months has a theme. And January's just really kicks it off with a bang. I'll say that. Uh, You start out with transcending dualities, which is incredible. And the four weeks have these titles. Week one is gather and resolve. Week two is stargaze. Week three is wrestle. And week four is set the table. In each of those weekly uh, sort of devotional guides that follow this liturgical calendar, you pair something you call the wonder moment and then something to try, which is a practical activity. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about then the difference between wonder and try? And then I want to zero in on week three, where you talk about wrestling. Great. Well, I'm glad that you kind of paid, that you paid attention to the structure, Julie. It's something as a writer that I really worked very hard on to kind of pair up the rhythm of the year and, and make it align with the liturgical calendar as well as the seasonal calendar. So um, January is meant to kick off with a bang, to sort of really think about what it means to go beyond dualities, to go beyond the way our minds are set up to think of things often in very dualistic ways. And this is part of our inheritance, um, many of us in the Western tradition from Plato, that we think of things, you know, the mind and the body, as opposed to a more holistic way of thinking about those two, or right and wrong, as opposed to really wrestling with the shades of gray. Um, So I've tried to set up each week, as you point out, with a reflection and then um, something for the, the group to wonder about, and then something to try. So to wonder is to kind of begin to tell some stories together as a family, as um, a small group or a group of friends or loved ones, however you are gathering. And think about um, yourself in the, in the, you know, your experiences, if you're in January with dualistic thinking, and um, really kind of listen to one another and let a discussion unfold, let some stories and some narratives take over. And then after you've had some time to kind of listen to one another, you move from wondering into trying, which is doing something concrete, doing something with materials that you have on hand in the home usually, and often making something very simple and having something um, that you are coming together to pray for as a group or making together or eating together some sort of physical manifestation of the thing that you've been wondering about together. So that's sort of how each week is set up. Yes. So in week three of January, where we're talking about wrestling, first of all, I love the opening. You say, does this week's theme, the word wrestle, surprise you? Maybe the word conjures up a vision of brothers and sisters rolling around on the floor together, half fighting and half laughing. Or maybe you think of a story from Genesis in which Jacob wrestles with God 
and receives a blessing when morning comes after a long night of struggle. To wonder is also a kind of wrestling. And you go on to talk about how important it is to openly support doubt, not having all the answers. So in your wonder section where you're bringing the family together, you're inviting people to discuss an ideal they're grappling with. Instead of making a declarative statement, they are actually posing perhaps a personal question. I'm comfortable with this part. I'm not comfortable with this. I find myself wondering if this is true or not. I find myself wondering about my relationship to this idea. Is that what you mean by wondering about one of these uh, typical dualities that we move into a non-dual space? Absolutely. Um, I, I want my children and the people I love and my my parents, my siblings, my best friends, I want them to see me struggling to understand something. And I don't want them to think that I'm not uh, troubled or that I feel certain about something all the time, particularly when it comes to issues regarding belief and faith. I want um, my table and my home and my entire ethos to be a place where the people I love can bring their hard questions where they can even bring their anger or their doubts, where they can um, struggle with contradictions. I want this to be, I want my my space as a parent and as a professor to be like a sanctuary for people where they can bring their doubts. And um, I don't want them to feel like they always have to be certain in my presence. To me, that that's really important that we can honestly hold two things in our hand at the same time. I can I can feel grief and I can feel joy at the same time. I can feel doubt and I can feel wonder at the same time. That is to me that's that's real and I I want my family and my children in particular to be okay with wrestling. I think that's an inheritance that I want them to get I want to give them from me. Part of the legacy I want to pass on. December is a great time to register for Brave Writer online writing classes. That's because December, there's nothing else going on, and you have your best shot at getting the class you want for your kids. Our online writing classes are unique because they only last three to six weeks. That means you can tuck them in in between soccer practice and ballet. It means you can commit for a burst of a month and then take a nice long break from writing. Our classes are deep dives into specific writing tasks, sometimes poetry, sometimes essays, sometimes writing a free write, sometimes writing about nature or science. Take a look at our class descriptions. We will give you a link in the show notes to determine which class would be best for your child and family. Our writing instructors give personalized, gentle, effective feedback to the writing your kids do. And in some cases, you get enrolled in the class with your child so that you can support the process and witness the power of this coaching instruction. That's right. Your skills as a writing coach and ally to your child are also supported, enriched, and transformed by participating in a Brave Writer online class. I can't wait to see you inside. Head to bravewriter.com slash online dash classes. We've got a link in the show notes to take you right there. 
That's beautiful. It it aligns very well with my book, Raising Critical Thinkers, that part of the critical thinking journey is that capacity to dispassionately consider ideas that are uncomfortable or that someone else holds for the sake of mutual understanding and sharing, not necessarily only for affirmation or denial. So I, I find that a really valuable and beautiful ideal. So then you talk about how to try this out. And this was why I wanted to discuss number three, because for me, it was so genius. You suggest take a five-minute break for a scavenger hunt around your home. Now, anyone who knows Brave Rider knows what a fan I am of the scavenger and treasure hunt, bringing surprise and mystery into the experience. Mm-hmm. Find one object that embodies the hard question or problem you just told your family about. If you have little ones, you might tell them to go to their room and find one thing that makes them feel happy and sad at the same time. A family album or scrapbook can be a source of wrestling since it can conjure up feelings of loss and joy from one page to the next. If you're doing this with friends, Give them free reign to open and search through your kitchen cupboard, bookshelves, and family room. Return to the gathering place to show your example to others. And then you're going to talk about this and create a safe place to share these complex feelings. You even recommend a prayer. But here's what I love. You, right from the get-go in January, set the stage for paradox, non-duality, doubt, telling the truth holding space for more than one way of understanding or knowing so that as we embark on this journey, we are not just reciting the acceptable ideals. It's genius, Bonnie. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. That means a lot to hear you say that, Julie. Have you done (laughs) this? I see that you got it. (laughs) Have you done this activity with your kids? Yes. And um, we're going to start over again in January because... They're older now and they've got different ways of thinking about this. And we've really, to be honest, we've had some loss in our family this year. And I'm interested to see um, how that and and the grief that we've experienced in 2022 is going to play out in these conversations in January. Amazing. Um, Do you have any examples uh, from, if if you feel safe to share, if you don't, just tell me, we'll skip this question. Sure. Do you have any examples of that um, joy and sadness or two feelings or thoughts or doubts and beliefs uh, from your family that were the result of this kind of conversation? Sure. Um, So in February of this year, a very, very close friend of mine and of my boys died of uh, glioblastoma, which is a form of brain cancer. She wrote a book called um, What We Wish Were True, and her name was Tolu Quinn. And she was just an amazing writer, amazing uh, thinker and uh, leader in my community of Nashville for food justice and for really imaginative ways of leading and thinking about the role of food in our lives. And so, um, you know, thinking about the loss of Tulu for the boys and for me as just a really close, close part of our family has been um, part of that, that paradox, I think, you know, and for the kids, it's been the biggest and and my son Henry said the saddest day of my life was when Tulu died, you know, um, it's been the biggest loss that they've experienced. And so we have her photograph up and, and I think in her photograph, you know, we have this 
loss and grief and sadness alongside the joy that we experience to have her in our life as our friend. And so just looking at her photograph brings that paradox to life that that those two things that we hold at the same time, you know, deep grief and sadness, but also incredible joy that we got to be part of her life and that we got to have um, her as, you know, this wholehearted, wonderful presence for so long. That's a beautiful example. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like it really goes with some of these activities just really touched me in week 15 in April, where you're talking about welcoming incarnation, this idea, right, of embodiment of your your spiritual life or your sense of transcendence, the activity that you recommend is walking barefoot. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why being barefoot relates to the incarnation and mm-hmm. how that you use a word that I did not know, earthing, what that comes from, what that means in terms of grounding your spirituality. Sure. So um in many religious traditions and certainly in um my tradition as a Christian, and I would say that many Christians have different experiences of this, Going barefoot is a sign of respect for the holiness of the ground that you are walking on. I am sitting here right now speaking to you with my shoes kicked off because I feel more, I feel more real, authentic, grounded, and truthful when the soles of my feet are kind of anchoring me to earth. Hmm. I'm not sure why that's just, if that's part of my status of, of being a human being, or if it's part of my religious upbringing, but, um, you know, in Exodus, the, the lines that I open that chapter with are, you know, remove the sandals from your feet because you're standing on holy ground. And I think that's true all the time. We're always standing on holy ground. Uh, I think it's Wendell Berry says there are no, um, sacred or unsacred spaces. There are Mm. only spaces that have been desecrated. And I think that's really true. Um, So when you have your feet connected to the ground, you are part of it. You you have a deeper sense of being part of it as opposed to being sort of disconnected. Um, As those little layer soles of shoes can kind of disconnect us in a way. When you're barefoot, you are rooted on this earth. You're rooted to the incarnate, the the enfleshed um, nature of divine, and um, so I think I think walking barefoot is a great way to talk about that truth with with young people in particular. Um, you know that when you walk on moss or on the sand of a beach or even in um, the tile of your own kitchen, you can think about how we've got the divine merging with the physical and. And not to sound too, you know, sort of crazy about it, but I also think, you know, when you talk about the earth this way, you're not just thinking about devotion to the sacred, but you're helping grow devotion for the earth itself, devotion for nature, care for our creation, care for the climate, care for the animals, um, care for our fellow human beings. And so when you think about how the divine merges with the physical, Maybe you've grow to love each other more. Maybe you grow to love the earth more. 
Does that sound too crazy, Julie? Oh my gosh, not at all. And that permeates this entire book. I keep thinking about one of the planks of the Brave Writer lifestyle is nature study. And part of the reason I find it valuable for the writing life, for the language-rich life, is that all of our best metaphors are grounded in the world that lives around us and having a direct, unmitigated experience of that creation of that world allows us to tap into a very rich vocabulary that provides insight and connection and a sense of awe and wonder. Beautifully uh, said. Yeah. And throughout your book, you have creating a pollinator garden, going bird watching. I mean, these are just absolute yeah. home runs for homeschool activity. Good. And yet you yes, and yet you show us also the transcendent value of these. And so if you're looking for a way to kind of add dimensionality to these practices. I really think your book does a great job. Um, I wanted to pivot and look at June. June's theme is come alive. And I love the opening quote from Howard Thurman. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Here's why I love this quote. <laughs> Not to hearken too much back to Brave Writer, but I think for my community, this is really powerful. A lot of times we're busy trying to get our children interested in things, in subjects, in the world around them, in passions and hobbies. Mm -hmm. And yet what catalyzes that better than any project you try to get your child to do is to undertake one for yourself, to come alive mm -hmm. to your own learning journey, to your own interests and hobbies, and to live those out loud in front of your children in the middle of the day so that they not only have a role model, but mm -hmm. they experience the invitation of your passion. When you talk in June about coming alive, the four weeks are wake, sing, lavish, and bless. Those words are so vibrant to me. Can, can you talk a little bit about June and what you had in mind, why that was timed with the halfway point through the Northern Hemisphere. I realize Southern Hemisphere is going into a different, darker season and the Northern is coming out of it. But what would you say about that time of year? Sure. Um, it is the June 21st is that moment when the light crescendos and we have the summer solstice. And um, of course, that is such an important time of life on our calendar um, in on the Christian calendar or on the liturgical calendar, it is the time of ordinary time, which is a long season of greenness and of life. And um, to me, it's all these activities, the activities that you mentioned, dancing, um, sorry, waking, singing, um, lavishing, blessing. <laughs> these are all activities that kind of help us feel more manifested in the light and um, a way to sort of encounter what Christians call the Holy Spirit. So I was um, I was really taken when I was writing this chapter with a little, little line from Hildegard of Bingen, a 12th century abbess and mystic and healer and composer. She was just this incredible... Um, polymath and um, just completely forgotten by, by time and space. And I really want to learn more about her. But she 
famously says that the word manifests itself in every creature. And so if you remember that, if you really believe that, that the word is manifested or the light is manifested in all of us, then we have to remember what are some things we can do to remember how to come alive in our creatureliness, to have the the brightest light of the year um, sort of embodied in the things that we do. To me, morning is a great time for that. And um, it's not true for everybody. I know not everybody is a morning person, but I'm sort of one of those incredibly annoying, I guess, morning persons where I feel like the dawn is just this moment of perfect um, innocence and where we're all just kind of coming awake. And it's just this incredibly sacred time for me to feel more awake. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think really thinking about how singing and the birds and you know, music and, um, you know, all these things that we can do to feel alive. What are those things that make you come alive? And how can you talk to others about that? I love the way you talk about coming alive in front of your children mm. and making sure that they see you love something, whether it be writing or running or yes. crafting or yes. baking or whatever, just to come alive and let other people see you do that is so important. I love that into July, then you've got this ordinary time extending even to the point of making fresh lemonade. Like if lest you think these activities are all sort of uh, mystical and ethereal, you've got a full recipe on how to make lemonade from scratch to share mm-hmm. family time. You talk about making a collaborative centerpiece. You have all kinds of uh, like a family altar. This is filled with not only sort of connecting to nature and activities like that. You've got crafts and you've got sort of the symbols of the Christian faith transformed into something you can do with your children, something you can build, something you can make, something you can craft. Uh, What are some of the favorite activities that you were like excited to put in the Seasons of Wonder? Oh, great question. So I love, you mentioned the collaborative centerpiece and I really love that activity. I've always loved a good tablescape and, um, you know, but it's not like you have to go to Target or whatever and spend a bunch of money to make a beautiful centerpiece. So I love um, just getting a big bowl or a vase and having those people who are coming to your gathering bring something, bring something from nature whether it be um, a zinnia they pulled out of the yard or a shiny little magnolia leaf or a beautiful tomato they picked and bring that beautiful um, offering um, that didn't cost any money or didn't take up any plastic in the universe, something from the flotsam and jetsam of creation, have them bring it to the table and say a little bit about it and um, make make it an offering of color and so I love the collaborative nature of making a centerpiece together. Um, that is certainly one of my favorites. I also really love composting. And so composting has become um, an important piece of our own yard. And sometimes the kids are like, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to take that nasty stuff out. But um, but I think we all kind of secretly love it, even if it is kind of gross sometimes seeing the transformative, the way that the the scraps and the things that we might've just thrown away in the past can really become part of our yard. That is super cool to me and very deeply theological. 
Um, making cookies for the birds to honor St. Francis in October. I love that activity as well. The one I have open because I love that activity. Oh, so great. Yeah, it's a pretty easy way to, you know, put branches in the tree or hang little, hang little um, cookies in the trees for the birds to come and, um, and get people, little people in your house or young people at heart in your house involved in having food available for the birds so that your yard can be a, a, a wonderful pl- home and a place to attract and protect our beloved birds. Love that so much. As we get into the fall, then there is this transition. Uh, November, I love the theme of that month is point to love. And you have a week that focuses on encounter. Encounter, as I define it in Raising Critical Thinkers, is the flipping of the power dynamic where you are suddenly overwhelmed with what you don't know and you become curious and you learn something fresh and new. In your um, discussion of encounter, you talk about really understanding the transition, the mystery, the miracle of what's happening to trees, the way Mm -hmm. that these deciduous ones, of course, I never understood this when I grew up in Southern California, but living in Ohio now, something about the trees going through a full cycle and I watch them. It reminds me of my own annual sort of shedding and rebirthing that is so powerful. Um, So talk a little bit about the wonder part of that experience. And then I really love your try, your activity that goes with that month. Sure. So, um, What happens in the fall to our deciduous trees is that, um, you know, they begin to drop their leaves and drop their seed pods. And um, I think it's such a poetic thing that some of these little helicopters or whirly gigs that make (laughs) it drop kind of look like angels. It's a really fascinating thing to see happen in the fall. And I write in that section about a particular tree called the ginkgo that I learned about when I did a leaf notebook back in sixth grade. Miss Farmer's class, we had to learn about all kinds of different leaves. And I remember being completely enchanted by the ginkgo. So what happens is near in, in mid-November, this just happened really, and uh, it's it's December here and as we're talking. And in mid-November, the the ginkgo trees, and one that's right outside my office, they they have this gorgeous goldenrod color. And they're sort of a triangular-shaped leaf, leaf, if you're familiar with the ginkgo. What happens is pretty much all at once, when the first hard frost comes, the ginkgo leaf severs. They all sever at once. And this goldenrod aura is beneath the trunk of the tree. And it's just... I write that encountering and pondering mysteries and wonders like the ginkgo trees make me contemplate intelligence. How do we describe intelligence? And what, you know, how wise is it that this tree knows what to do all at once? They all the leaves drop at once. That's such an incredible way of thinking about a non-human form of intelligence. So in that um in that section, I encourage those who are using the book to to bring photos of their ancestors and to share them around the table, imagining how might we feel if we're encountering our ancestors in this space. 
what kinds of wisdom and intelligence have they contributed to the conversations that we've been having together this year as we've been using Seasons of Wonder? And, um, you know, what are some more expansive ways that we can encounter intelligence? The intelligence of trees like ginkgos, the intelligence of ancestors who may not be sitting with us in body, but whose whose legacies and teachings are here with us in other ways. Oh, it's so beautiful. I thought immediately of Braiding Sweetgrass by <laughs> Robin Wall Kimmerer, who yes. does such a good job of showing and revealing the intelligence of the plant universe, yes. right? It's the yes. ginkgo is a great example of that. And I love this notion of staying alert to those intelligences. I think sometimes the way that we value something is to ascribe to it uh, that mysterious not knowing. I don't know why the ginkgo does what it does. So starting to ask that question and then even asking it about how am I an expression of the will of my great-grandmother who is no longer with us? What was the trajectory of what she was putting into the universe and how is that being played out in me? And I am not even aware of it and creating those continuities for our families. Thank you so much. That is just beautiful. Uh, Before we go, then we're almost to the end of the year. Is there anything you would like to say about the December Advent period of the Seasons of Wonder? Oh, of course. Um, Gosh. Advent is such a special time to me. I love looking for the light. That's the theme of December and I think the theme of Advent. This morning, my kids were um, kind of in a rush to get ready for school and they lit the both the candles on the Advent wreath. And we talked about looking for the light and how more light is coming, more light is coming um, as we are approaching this um, this dark winter solstice, we have to look for the light and bring it together. So, um, you know, gosh, where to even begin, but the the incarnational light is to me the heart of what it means to be part of the Christian tradition, to really think about how the divine is enfleshed or literally lighting our path as we try to move through this time And how during Advent do we keep Advent and find ways to bring the light and to care for others um, and not just max out our credit cards trying to recreate some perfect thing that never was. (laughs) I often, and I write about this during um, the month, you know, for so many families, you know, whether or not you're placing yourself in the Christian tradition, this time of year is, it just almost feels like we have a part-time job to do the work of Christmasing, Um, you know, all the purchasing and the wrapping and the card mailing and um, the endless activity. And I I think it's just, it's, it's not what it's supposed to be. And I know I sound like Charlie Brown. Why doesn't anybody really understand what Christmas is supposed to be about? Um, It's, it's just a time really to take stock and um, to think about how do you, you know, how do you, how, what might be a good way to give somebody something that you've made, a candle that you've made, um, or something that gives us more delight, more time for rejuvenating, more time to put goodness and care out into the world. And to me, that is what the Christian story is all about. Well, I have to say, it especially touched me 
that you included poetry tea time yes, <laughs> in, that, I did. in that 46th week. And you I even offer, yes, and you offer a list of poems that really go with the Advent season. And I think that is just, I, I was incredibly moved by that and honored that you saw fit to include that in your, in your celebrations. Um, poetry tea time is an incredible ritual it's something that you can do with your family. It's something you can do with your roommates. If you're, you know, a young person living yep. in your first apartment, it's something that you can do with your students. If you're a teacher, certainly if in a homeschool environment, there's so many different ways to ritualize poetry and tea. And I am a big lover of both of those. And, and to me, Advent's a great time to do it when, when, especially when your kids who've been, you know, kind of doing all this stuff, you know, need some time to settle in together. Yes. Yeah. And you could use hot chocolate if you wanted. <laughs> you could. You can do Absolutely. whatever would feel good at that time of year. Bonnie, you're delightful. I want to just say for the benefit of everyone who's listening, this is such a practical and easy to use guide. It has just the right amount of reflection material. It'll take you just a few minutes to read that. It's not like you have to read a lengthy academic chapter before you get to the good stuff. It's just the right amount. It's very personal. It's very well-written. And then the practices sort of weave between these very earthy, easy-to-do experiences and some that require a little bit more setup and crafting. But all of them are doable. Nothing feels outside the realm of what a parent could put together for their family. So thank you for this generous offering. I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful tool. Thank you so much, Julie. It was really wonderful to meet you in person and get a chance to speak with you and your wonderful audience today. Thanks for tuning in today. If you'd like to purchase Bonnie's book, Seasons of Wonder, you'll find it anywhere books are sold. If you'd like more information about Bonnie's writings and her background, visit her website. I will include a link in the show notes. It is bonniesmithwhitehouse.com. This is the part of the podcast where I ask you to leave a review. You can leave stars or words, whatever your choice is. If you've already left a review, thank you so much. You never know, Natalie might read yours one of these weeks. The truth is, I love podcasting, and I couldn't do it without you. I'd love your ideas for the next topics you'd like me to discuss on the show. To let us know, reach out to us via our SMS or texting number. That number is 1-833-947-3684. I know that's a mouthful. Don't worry, it's in the show notes. Simply text the word POD to be added to the podcast group, and then just text us any ideas you have for future shows. We're already building a beautiful Excel spreadsheet with all your ideas. Hi, everyone. It's Natalie again with the Brave Writer team. I've got another five-star review for you, and today's comes from Miss Los. Exactly what our family needs. I am so grateful for Julie's wisdom as the mother of five grown homeschool children. Her words always seem to get at the heart of what my own family is struggling with, whether it is homeschool related or not. She has really profound insights into family relationships to share 
And then she manages to translate those insights into practical tips for her listeners to implement in our own homes. Thank you, Julie, for bringing your voice to this community. Today's episode was produced by Nova Media with support from team members Jeanette Hall and Natalie Miele. I'm Julie Bogart, author of The Brave Learner and Raising Critical Thinkers. I'm also the founder of BraveWriter.com, an innovative approach to writing instruction. You've been listening to The Brave Writer Podcast. Until next time, keep going. Think well. I'm rooting for you.